trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing love, just in simple faith to plunge me deep Pour out our praise, it's your 
Take a seat. Kids, you can be released to your classes. Good morning, church. Good morning. Thanks for being here. We're excited to worship with you, excited to have another Sunday. I was just talking to somebody and I was saying, man, it feels like family. You know, you look around and it feels like family. So it's good to be here with you and I'm excited you guys are here as well. And if you're visiting, welcome. If you're visiting with us online, welcome as well. Um, we'd love to get connected to you. It's one of the things that we thrive on here at Linworth Road Church is, is just being connected. There's a couple different ways you can do that. One of the best ways to do that is to grab what we call our connect card. It's on the chair in front of you on the back of that. You can also stop by our welcome center, uh, get any questions answered that you have there, how to plug into a small group, talk to a pastor, learn more about our church. Uh, also on our connect card is how you can communicate to us. So it's great. So I have a couple of announcements. You can go ahead and open up in your Bible app and check those out with me. So the first one, um, each year, we partner with local Pregnancy Decision Health Center in Bottles for Life fundraiser. Now, if you didn't get a chance to pick up a baby bottle, you can grab one. They're on the lobby out there and just bring it back in four to six weeks. Next, um, Easter weekend at Linworth. Good Friday, please join us at seven o'clock for a special guided and reflective Good Friday service. Sunrise service is at 645 and our Easter services will be at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. So please join us, we'd love to have you, and we'd love to be there with you. And this week, we have one of our ministry partners, Tom Short, continuing our sermon series in First Kings. Tom? Yeah. Well, good morning. I am so excited to be sharing tonight, today, from First Kings, chapter 18 in this series. This is actually one of my favorite chapters and stories in the entire Bible. I feel like I relate to it quite a bit. So I was talking to my wife this week and I was talking about, you know, just running some things by her and I mentioned it's about Elijah and she corrected me. She said, make sure it's, you're clear you're talking about Elijah, not Elisha. She said, Tom, sometimes when you say that, it slurs a little bit and it's not clear which one it is. And I said, okay, well, you know, that great story up on Mount Carmel. And she said, well, it's actually Mount Carmel is how you pronounce that. And, and, and it's, you know, and she was uh, making sure, she always wants to make sure that when I'm in public, I present things properly and accurately. And she's just looking out for my best interest and we get along quite well. But it reminded me, <laughs> reminded me of a woman who died. And she, you know, went to the pearly gates and there she was met by St. Peter. Now this is a Protestant church, this joke is not theologically accurate. But anyway, she was <laughs> met there by St. Peter. And uh, she said, am I going to go to heaven? And Peter said, well, it, it, it depends. There's yet one more requirement. She said, well, 
well, what's that? He said, you got to spell a word correctly. She said, well, what word? He said, any word. You pick the word, and if you spell it correctly, you get to come into heaven. She said, okay, love, L-O-V-E. He said, you're in, come on up. You know, she went to heaven. She was so excited. Now, it turns out not long after she got there, Peter had to run an errand. And he said, can you just watch the gates here for me for a moment? And she said, well, I suppose. He said, well, you know what to do. If someone comes up, you just tell them they have to spell a word correctly. And, uh, and if they do, they can come in. You, just, you know the requirements, she, just the same as you had. She said, okay, well, I guess I will. Well, Peter ran on his errand. And lo and behold, here comes her ex-husband. And she said, did you die? And he said, yeah, I just suddenly had this heart attack. I don't know what happened. I just suddenly died. And he said to her, am I about to go to heaven? And she said, well, there's still one requirement for you to get in. He said, what's that? She, sees, she said, you've got to spell a word correctly. If you spell a word correctly, you can come to heaven. He said, well, that's great. What's the word? She looked at him, thought for a moment, and said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> well, we're in 1 Kings, and it is an exciting book, a warning book, and of this great confrontation that we're about to have between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We've been seeing last week how they just come through this terrible famine. And the famine was, had come because Elijah had prayed that the people would, Elijah had prayed for the famine, he prayed it would not rain. It was a judgment of God upon the land. In 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse one, Elijah meets Ahab. Now Ahab was the bad king. He was a terrible king. And, in and to add to all the bad stuff he'd done, he'd married a terrible woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was someone who hated God. She was committed to the, the uh, Baals and the Asherah, it's called, these false gods, the gods of Canaan. And she'd had the prophets of God were put to death. And she had this big didn't she regularly fed them? They ate at her dinner. 850, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Can you imagine serving a dinner for 850 people, maybe like every day? She was committed to this false religion. And God was angry about this. God was provoked by this. These were the people of God who were supposed to be worshiping God, and instead they were worshiping these false deities, these idols and they were pressured to do so by the government, by the king and the queen. And so God brought a judgment. For three years, it did not rain in Israel. And there became a great famine. People were dying. It was a terrible, terrible situation. But in, in, in 1 Kings 18, verse one, where we pick up today, God says go to, to uh, Elijah, go and meet Ahab and I'm gonna, I'm gonna cause rain to come again. 
This is where we pick up today's story. So let's pray. And Father, we pray that you would bless your word today. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We pray that you would make this day like never, a day we've never had before, Father. We just acknowledge we're coming to church today. We're meeting in the house of God today. We're getting into the word of God today. We pray that we'd never ever be the same. We pray that your word would penetrate and challenge us, and inspire us, encourage us, teach us. And we pray, Father, that as a result of being in your word today, we would never be the same. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna tell the story primarily, what happens here and, and um, with Elijah. So, a lot, so chapter 18, verse one. Elijah, now, now it happened, after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go and show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Now the drought had been severe as we just mentioned. People died. Uh, Ahab was thinking maybe we can at least keep, you know, save some of the cattle and some of the horses. So many people are dying. It was a severe drought. We saw last week how God had provided and taken care of Elijah during this time. But the land was in trouble. And as a result, there was a price on Elijah's head. Ahab and Jezebel wanted him dead. They blamed him for what was happening. It's kind of like interesting how people do that, isn't it? We always like to blame someone else, even when it was a problem we started. We'll see this in a just moment, how Ahab was the source, but he wanted someone else to blame. He wanted to blame Elijah. Now we're introduced in a moment here to a guy named Obadiah. My wife didn't talk to me at all about how to pronounce his name, but I think I got it right. Now Obadiah was not the same prophet as we read in the book of Obadiah here in the Old Testament. This was a different guy. And it so happens that he must have been in a very trusted position because Ahab said to Obadiah, you go to this part of the country and see if you can find any water. Can we save the cattle, save the livestock? I'll go to this part. In other words, he was giving him great responsibility. But Obadiah, unbeknownst to Ahab, was a good guy. He had been faithful to the Lord God. And even when, the, when uh, Ahab and Jezebel were killing all the prophets of God, he hid a hundred of them, 50 in one cave and 50 in another, and provided for them that they would not die. And he did this without Ahab even knowing it. And it struck me. I wonder how many of you might be in positions of influence that others don't even know about. And they don't know about your faith. They don't know about your commitment to God. But God has given you, like Obadiah, God's given you a position of influence for a proper day. Of course, he did this with Queen Esther. And Obadiah, here's another example. He did it with Daniel. He did it with Joseph. Maybe God does that with you. We live in a world where increasingly there's, there's opposition to our Christian faith. Powerful people don't like us. Powerful people don't like our values. Powerful people well, want to work against us. And yet, some of you may be in a position of tremendous influence working for 
one of those powerful people or maybe being a neighbor of one of those powerful people and God has put you there, not to say I can't be around them, they're evil and I'm just gonna be gone with them, but maybe God has put you there to play, be a person of influence. And when your day comes and when the opportunity comes, you might be a Queen Esther or Daniel or Joseph or Nobadiah. What happens here when God told uh, Elijah to go to Ahab, well, he needed to have an opening because remember there's a price on, on uh, uh, Elijah's head. And so God has Elijah run into Obadiah, the, shall we say, probably the right-hand man to the king, but a man who was faithful to God and was for just a moment as this. And he says to Obadiah, he says, go arrange a, a time for me to meet Ahab. And Obadiah says, why do you hate me? And he says, I don't hate you. He said, well, surely I know how things work. I know how you work. I know how God works. You're telling me to go meet Ahab. You want me to go tell Ahab, hey, I found Elijah. I know where he's at. He wants to meet with you and he'll come to meet. And then God will take you away, save your life. You won't be there. Then I'm in trouble. And so he was worried. He was nervous and got and Elijah said, no, you can count on it. I'm going to face him down. I'm going to face Elijah. Oh, it might have been a tough thing. This is right up there like when Moses faced up with Pharaoh. When David faced up with Goliath. This was a, this was a power encounter. This was a man of God going up against the king. And the king wanted the man of God dead. And he said, I'll be there. I can trust our God and I will be there. I like verse, so they arrange this meeting and it comes together. I like verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? How would you like a king to say that about you? Is that you, you troubler of the country? You troublemaker? I'm the king. I, you know, kings don't tend to like troublemakers. They don't like people who stir up things against them. But Elijah was a prophet. And one thing I've noticed, prophets sometimes challenge the status quo, do they not? Prophets sometimes, they, you know, they, uh, they, they irritate us. They stir the boat. They shake the fence. They, they make it hard for us to continue in apathy or in lukewarmness or coldness or in sin. And so Ahab wasn't very happy to run into Elijah. They'd had three years of drought. And, the, and this guy had prayed for the drought and it sure didn't happen. Now keep in mind, like Chris shared last week, the gods they were worshiping were the gods of weather, the gods of rain. Uh, Baal, or Baal, if you want to pronounce it rightly again, right? Baal or Baal was a god of rain. He was the, the god that controlled the weather, and, and Asher was the female partner of him. And it was that the idea was they could control the weather. And here, it wasn't raining. This was a judgment. This was a judgment that God had sent because of their apostasy, because of their rebellion. It wasn't pleasant. It was hard. People were thirsty 
and hungry, crops weren't working, livestock was, livestock was dying, undoubtedly people were dying. And Ahab, you know, when it's all falling apart around him, and his kingdom is probably questioned, and his authority and his leadership, and they've had to clamp down and be, you know, respond by killing these prophets on. And here came Elijah. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now, what would you say in that case? If you were Elijah, how would you respond if the king said, is that you, you troubler? Well, I'll tell you what Elijah said. He probably didn't say what most of us would say. He kind of, he, he was pretty bold. Verse 18, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. I'm not the troubler of Israel. You are. What was the problem in Israel? Was the problem the lack of rain? Or is that just a symptom of a much deeper problem? Folks, this is really important for us to think about in life. So often in life, we only address symptoms and we miss out on causes. We put a Band-Aid on the problem. The problem appeared to be a lack of rain, and that was indeed tough. Food wasn't growing, crops weren't growing. People were dying. It was a terrible, terrible time. But the lack of rain was a symptom of a far greater problem. If the rain was the only problem, then indeed it was Elijah that was the troubler of Israel. But if Elijah was just addressing the problem and bringing this discipline and judgment of God upon the land because of a deeper problem, then that's what you need to address. Folks, I don't know if you figured out in life, if you never address problems and only address symptoms, the problem remains. And the symptom just shows up elsewhere. Wherever it is, in your own life, in your health, in your money, in a relationship with someone, at, jo at your job, in a church, in a nation. If you only address symptoms and ignore problems, see the symptoms are so much easier to address. You just put a Band-Aid on something and you think the problem went away. Oh, you, you got some tumor growing underneath there. The Band-Aid doesn't solve the problem. And so often in life, if all we're doing is Band-Aid, addressing symptoms and, and putting on Band-Aids in life, the problem remains. Sometimes we wonder, why does the problem not go away? You can't just deny it. You just can't pretend it's not there. You can't just overlook it. You've got to address it and find out what the real issues are. The real issue in Israel was not the lack of rain. The real issue is they had turned away from the Lord God. Let's look back in 1 Kings chapter 16, if you have your Bible, and let's read what it says about Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 16. Verse 29, now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. 
And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worship him. And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah, the female deity. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. What a statement. His sin provoked the Lord. It angered God. You know, to be entrusted in a role of leadership and authority where people look to you and follow you, that's a heavy responsibility. If you have a role of leadership, it might be at work, it might be in your family, maybe you're a government leader, political leader, leader in the church, leader in a small group leader in your family, wherever, to, to be in leadership and to mislead the people, to lead them down the wrong way, to lead them to another God, another deity. It provoked the Lord. And God was holding Ahab responsible. And God was bringing a severe judgment upon the land. This was the problem. And until this problem was addressed, rain would not make a difference. Rain would just, it, 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 it was the symptom. The lack of rain was the symptom. And it would not solve the problem if it rained. It would just cause people to now be satisfied and move on. Problem unaddressed, they think it had been solved. Who was the troubler of Israel? It was Ahab. Ahab had been the one who turned the hearts of the people away from God. Ahab had been the one to build, his, his, uh, build the altars to Baal on the high places where they were not to worship. Ahab had married Jezebel, this queen, he became his queen, even worse. Ahab was the problem. And it took boldness. It took boldness for Elijah to say that. It took boldness for him to speak the truth. He risked his life to do so, no doubt about it. Well, we continue on. Elijah issues a challenge. He says, you call all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of the Asherah. There are 450 prophets of Baal, 400 of the Asherah. 850 altogether. Call them up here. Call them to Mount Carmel. And let's have a showdown. Let's see who's really God. I will pit my God against your God any day. I'm not fearful of your God. Your God's a false God. Your God's a false idol. Get him up here. Let's have this showdown. And Ahab agreed. And they called together Israel. It says all Israel, but probably representatives of Israel, people of Israel, the 10 tribes in the northern kingdom there, up, up in, in the northern part, north of Samaria. They called those together. They called together all these prophets. And Elijah then addressed the people. 
And he asked them a tremendous question in verse 21. Then Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people didn't answer a word. What a question. They were, they were hesitating. They were vacillating. They were paralyzed because they couldn't figure out who was the real God. Who were they really going to follow? And so they were sitting on the fence. They probably had one foot with Baal and one foot with the Lord God. They're probably hedging their bets. You know, I know we're supposed to be the people of God, but you know that Baal, he's the, he's the rain God. We need rain. So maybe I'll just have something to fall back on. Or wait a minute, should I worship Baal and fall back on the Lord God or should I? They were, they're paralyzed. They didn't know what to do. And, and when Elijah challenged him, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long are you gonna be undecided? How long are you gonna have one foot here and one foot there? And their answer, they didn't have an answer. They didn't know what to say. Sometimes things just don't change, do they? I mean, this, this was a story from 2,700 years ago. And yet, don't we sometimes face the same problem? Maybe you, maybe someone you know, they're just stuck. They're stuck. They're stuck between two gods. Who's really my authority? Who, what am I really gonna live for? What do I really believe is true? Yeah, I believe in God, but Look, I believe this other stuff too. I believe in God, but look what they taught me in school. I believe God made me, but you know, I also, yes, I believe in science. I believe in, you know, I believe the Bible, but you know, I heard some things I'm not sure I agree with in the Bible. And I'm stuck. I kind of talk, think of it as like a pebble in your shoe. You know, you're a Christian, you walk around, but it's like every time you take it, ooh, with that pebble in my shoe, it irritates me. And it causes us to lack courage, boldness, and to be indecisive. It paralyzes us from being wholehearted for God. The people were paralyzed. These people were paralyzed. And they were stuck. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is Lord, and serve him, follow him. If he's not, stop playing the game. That's what he's saying. If God is God, then treat him like God. And if he's not God, stop playing the game. Make up your mind is what Elijah challenged them to do. And so he had a contest. He said, let's see, here's what we're gonna do. Remember, he said, how about we do this? Let's take two oxen. You, you prophets of Baal there, let's take two oxen. Let's Offer them on an altar, and whichever God offer, answers by fire, so that a fire comes from heaven and burns up that offering, that's the true God. And the people said, sounds like a good idea. We'll go with that one. And so that's what they did. Now, it's interesting, Mount Carmel, shall we say, this was taking it to their turf. This is my slogan in life. I've 
what I do, if you don't know, I go out on the campus, I speak about the Lord, I speak publicly, and I take it to their turf. I go where they're comfortable. I go where non-believers and skeptics and so on can, can ask and answer and interact. I go on their turf where they're comfortable. Elijah was on their turf. There were 450 prophets of Baal and probably 400 prophets of Asherah. He was outnumbered either 450 or 850 to one. Wow. Can you, ever, can you imagine being, being that? I mean, I, you can, no matter who you are, you're outnumbered. I often say God plus you, God plus me is a majority. God, if you're with God, you're in the majority. But this is like, yeah, that sounds nice, but there's 850 of them and I'm alone. They run Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is a high place in Israel. From there, you can look out on one side, you can see the Mediterranean Sea out there. The other side, you can see, look over the, the, the valley of uh, Megiddo and Jezreel, where, where the great valley of Armageddon, battle of Armageddon will be. You can see a long ways from up on top of Mount Carmel. It was a high place. Israel wasn't to be worshiping on the high places. That's where they built the altars to these false gods and to these idols. He was on their turf. He came to their place and he issued this challenge. Let's see whose God answers by fire. So they said, okay. And, he, and then he, he's pretty smart. He says, you go first. And so they did. They built their altar, all these prophets of Baal. They put the oxen up on top of it. No fire, just laid them there. And then they began to cry out to their God. And they danced and they sang. Or I don't know if they sang. They probably didn't sing. We sing. They don't. You know, they shouted. They cut themselves. They beat themselves. This is what some religions do. Many religions, they punish themselves thinking that's going to get God's attention. Sometimes you go to these countries where idolatry is very, very popular. And this is what their, their holy men will do. They will punish. They'll, they'll cut themselves, whip themselves, hurt themselves, thinking this will get God's attention. No answer. No answer. Now, Elijah, I don't, I don't know how you picture this. I think he began to have a little fun. Call a little louder. He might be asleep. Your God might be sleeping. He mocked them. Maybe he's away doing something else. You better shout loud. And what did they do? They shouted louder. You know, they, ah, you know. He must have been chuckling inside. I don't know. He mocked their God. He mocked their God. He wasn't in an attitude of, you know, we, we live in a, such a pluralistic society where, where there's people of different ideas and we show respect in, our, in, in a political sense and so on. We show respect and we honor people and we so forth. But that doesn't mean that when we show tolerance that we think that what you believe is right and true. Tolerance means you, you, you put up with, you accept, you maybe respect someone you disagree with or that you believe to be wrong. Elijah mocked their God. He mocked them. They danced all the more. They shouted all the more. They cut more. The blood was flowing freely. But there was no answer because they had no God. Truth matters. 
It didn't matter how much they these prophets believed, these false prophets. It didn't matter how strong it was. It didn't matter how important it was. It didn't matter how sincere they were. What they believed was not true. They were believing in a false God, a false idol, and it provoked the Lord God to anger. And Elijah expressing the heart of God, he mocked him. And there was no answer. Now it was Elijah's turn. They'd, pro- they'd start early in the morning. Let's, let's guess eight o'clock. I don't know, maybe earlier. And it says they did this until the evening sacrifice. They had probably been doing this for six, seven, eight, nine hours. And still their God did not hear and did not answer because he was not there. So Elijah says, okay, my turn. He calls the people and he says, get some big pots of water. And, and first of all, he repaired the altar, excuse me. 12 stones, represent the 12 stones of the tribes of Israel. And he repaired the altar. He prepared then the, the sacrifice, the oxen, he put it on the altar. And is it time to call upon God? Not yet. He said, not only am I on your turf, not only am I not on your high place, not only am I outnumbered 850 to one, but we're gonna make this a little bit harder because we're dealing with God. So pour some water on it. Get four big pots of water and pour it on it. And they did. Okay, now what? Do it again. Really? Yeah. Okay, they poured much more water on it. Now what do you do? Do it again. Really? Yes. Do it again. They did it so much until it was soaking. The wood was soaking. There was mud all around. The water was running off. And then he says a prayer. And let's hear his prayer because it's a pretty good prayer. Verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, and answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back to you. He's praying, this whole demonstration is for what purpose? That the people would stop hesitating between two opinions. That the people would get off the fence. That the people would know that the Lord God is the Lord God. And they would no longer swear, be, be torn in their allegiance to Baal or, or the false gods of the land, the false gods of the people around them. But they'd be faithful to the one true God. That's what it was all about. Oh, Lord, answer me. This drought, I spoke it at your word, Lord God. This problems we've had, show the people it was from you and turn their hearts back to you. What a prayer. Maybe some of us need to have that prayer answered, amen? Maybe we know people do. Maybe, maybe our community does. All, all, maybe our nation needs a call back to the Lord God and a revival of this nature. What happens? Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the, wor- and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water 
that was in the trench. Hallelujah. I mean, that's awesome. It wasn't just like a little spark. No, this, it was drenched with water. And the fire of heaven came down so powerfully, so miraculously, that it consumed the offering and the wood. It burnt up the stones. That must be hot. It melted all the, it, it, it dried up all the water. That's fire. That's fire. And look at the response. When the people, verse 39, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Wow, that's awesome. When we go to Israel, we go up on Mount Carmel and we tell this story and there's other people up there, but our group, you know, we have fun. And so our group, you know, I, after we tell a story, I said, let's do it together. And we shout out, the Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. Well, people look over at us, but you know. But that's what that whole scene is about. Stop hesitating. Get off the fence. Put both feet with God because the Lord is God. If he's God, then treat him as God. If he's not, stop playing games. That's what Elijah called him to do. And he answered with fire. He answered in a way that was powerful. And the people responded. Praise God. Praise God. What an exciting, exciting story. Now, it doesn't end there. The next thing they did, and this, this troubles some people. Because the next thing they did was they went and they killed all those prophets of Baal. They slew them all. Elijah did. You know, up there at Mount Carmel in, in Israel now, the big statue on the top of Mount Carmel. And it's got, Mount, it's got Elijah with a sword in his hand because after this happened, they slew those prophets. And you say, really? Yes. Because what they were doing was evil. It was wrong. And God brought a judgment, a wrath, the wrath of God. They had provoked the Lord. They had called the people of God to forsake God. They were enticing the people of God to spiritual adultery. It was bad, it was wrong, and it, and it was to be judged. Now, you might say, does that mean we ought to go in our day? I mean, this is Old Testament, right? Are we supposed to do that in our day? The good news for us, my friends, Jesus bore our wrath. We sing the song and, and we, we, we look at the prophets of Baal or we look at the cross of Christ. And you know the song we sing? Um, you know the song. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was telling me this morning, in him the wrath of God was satisfied. You know that line. Rick, you, or, or Nick, you know that one. Um, the wrath of God was satisfied in Christ. Amen? And it was. In Christ alone, that's right. I just wanted to see if you were awake. <laughs> but the wrath of God was satisfied. My friends, our God is a God of love. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes people do things to provoke the Lord. And our God will judge sin. Let's not, let's not think otherwise. And in 
the, the days of Elijah to satisfy that wrath of God for what Ahab and Jezebel had done, it required these false priests, these false prophets leading the people into idolatry and sin. This is serious stuff. They were stumbling blocks. Jesus spoke in his day, he said, people who cause stumbling blocks like this, it'd be better if you tied a millstone around their neck and were thrown into the sea than to cause others to stumble who were trying to follow God. This was serious things they had done. And to sin against God, listen, God can forgive, but it's serious when people sin. It's serious when people call people away from God. It's serious when people are stumbling blocks. And so Elijah judged the people of God. In our day, we can be grateful that our God has provided the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And on the cross of Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. The judgment that deserved to fall upon us, it fell upon him. Christ died for our sins. Once for all, the just died for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. This is our gospel. This is our good news. And we're happy for it. There's another thing that happened. After the people, the Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. We choose God. We hesitate no more. We're off the fence. The Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God, they shouted. And once that happened, and then they took care of the prophets of Baal, something else happened. Abraham, uh, uh, Elijah, told his servant, he said, go look out towards the sea and tell me what you see. And he's praying that it would rain now. They'd had this mighty victory. And, the, and now that they'd solved the problem, that the symptom would work out. The problem wasn't the lack of rain. That was a symptom. The problem was they turned against God. But now they'd come back. The Lord, he's God. The Lord, he's God. And so he tells them, go look at the, go, go look. Tell me if you see anything. Nothing. He prays more. Go look again. Nothing. He prays again. Now go check. Nothing. All right. He keeps praying. Now go check. Nothing. All right. I'm going to pray. Now go check. Nothing. The seventh time he prayed, was praying and checked, the guy said, well, I see, a, I see a cloud out there. It's about the size of a man's fist. I mean, that's, that, that's trying to be positive. You know, I think I, I see something out there. He kept praying. He kept praying. He kept praying. Verse 43, he said to the servant, go up now, look toward the sea. He went and looked and said, there's nothing. He said, go back seven times. Verse 44, and it came about the seventh time that he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming from the sea. It's good to keep praying. Don't give up. We read about Elijah that he prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. I think part of fervent prayer is that we don't give up. He kept praying, he kept praying, he kept praying, he kept praying. They've not seen rain in three years, my friends. And he's gonna pray, it's gonna rain today, I know it. God has solved the problem. The people turned back to God, it's gonna rain today. Seven times they looked before finally, I see, I see a cloud about the size of a man's fist. Don't give up in your prayers. 
It's the lesson we learned from Elijah. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare their chariot and go down so the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy shower. Hallelujah. When the problem was solved, God takes care of the symptoms. Don't just address the symptoms. When the problem was solved, God took care of the symptoms and it rained and it rained and it rained. Praise God. What do we learn from this? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. What we should do is not hesitate between two opinions. The people in that day, and indeed the people in our day, and maybe indeed some of us right here, are struggling. Am I all in with God or not? Like I said earlier, yeah, I believe Jesus saves me. And yeah, I believe most of the Bible, the parts I don't maybe get or understand, but I certainly believe, I sure believe Jesus died and rose again. That's the important part. But sometimes we can have things that irritate us, trouble us, we've not had answers to. And we've got one foot with God and one foot that's not quite with Him. We're sitting on the fence. We're not all in for God. Or sometimes we can say, well, yeah, I'm forgiven. I want to go to heaven. But the world looks awfully nice. And some of the things it promises me seem quite appealing. And besides, I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to lose any. I don't want to make any enemies. I wouldn't want to get canceled. So, you know, I'll keep one foot over here and I'll keep one foot here. As a matter of fact, this foot's firmly planted every Sunday morning. The rest of the week, you know, I'm dangling this foot over, over there. If Elijah were here today, do you think he would say to us, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Jesus is Lord, then follow him. And if he's not, stop playing the game. Now, you might say you haven't fully made up your mind yet. And if that's the case and you're still investigating and exploring, that's one thing. But if you haven't fully made up your mind because you haven't counted the cost or you're not sure you want to do it or there's something of that nature. See, these people have not fully made up their mind, but they should have. And some of us, it's past time that we make up our mind. We know enough. We know enough. I run into people on campus all the time. I say, you know more about Jesus than I did when I became a Christian. You know more of the Bible than I did when I became a Christian. I've told you more today than I knew when I became a Christian. I've answered more questions today than I had unanswered questions, but I didn't let what I don't know keep me from acting on what I do know. I didn't let the lure or temptation of the world keep me from saying, I'll do what's right by God rather than just follow my feelings. No. How long will we hesitate between two opinions? I really believe in our world today, our whole country, millions of us, kind of trying to decide who's our God? Who's our God? There's all, you know, is our God pleasure? 
Is that what we live for? Is that what we worship? Is that, is that our ultimate? Is our God money? Is that what we worship? Is that our ultimate acceptance by others? Is our God science? Like science, you know, this has been a big thing we've talked about the last few years. Does science have all the answers? Or somewhere is there, does God enter in that God is sovereign? God is the Lord. I mean, really, who is your God? That's what Elijah challenged us, challenged the people. The other people had reasoned, they had reason to believe in the Baals. I mean, the government was pressuring them. They knew that if they went with the Lord God, they could, I mean, they'd already killed all the prophets. Most of them. They might do that to you. They, they were lacking rain. Baal was the rain god. You don't want to anger him. I mean, you want to hedge your bets just in case Baal's right. You don't want to make him angry. Where, in their day, that's the question people are asking. the question people are asking. I don't know if you realize. What makes your religion, what makes our religion any better than any other religion or no religion at all? And I usually start by saying, well, you know, for starters, our guy rose from the dead. <laughs> and that is what makes our religion better. Not only better, but true. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate here in a few weeks. And I hope you do celebrate it. The resurrection. There was a man, a real man who really lived named Jesus. He really did die. And three days later, his tomb really was empty. It's not just he lives on our hearts. The tomb was empty. The body was missing. Over the next 40 days, on at least 10 occasions, people said they saw him alive. They talked with him. They touched him. They ate with him. They had conversation with him. Hundreds of people claimed to have seen him risen from the dead. For doing so, they were ruthlessly persecuted, beaten, jailed, killed, executed terrible ways, tortured to death. Not a single one in all, of all we know, anyone who ever claimed to have seen Jesus risen from the dead, not a single one ever went back on their story, their testimony, even when faced with beating, Imprisonment, death. That's powerful evidence. Our God sent his son. He took care of our sin problem. He didn't just address symptoms. He took care of the sin problem when he died on the cross. And then he demonstrated he's true by rising from the dead. We have nothing at all to feel inferior about or ashamed of to say we are a Christian. Our God is a true God. The Lord God, he has done what no one else has done. He conquered death. And that's the enemy of humanity. That's the ultimate enemy. And Jesus has the ultimate victory. Amen? Amen. The Lord, he is God. Father in heaven, we thank you today for this mighty demonstration of your power that we saw, we read about in Mount Carmel. And Elijah, as he stood courageously against the prophets of Baal. And you answered with fire and you gave a mighty, mighty 
mighty victory. We praise you and we say the Lord, he is God. We thank you, Jesus, that you had an even greater victory. You conquered death. Death, it gets all of us. Sooner or later, it's gonna get us all. And the hope of eternal life, we have it as a sure and solid hope because Jesus, you have overcome death. And you rendered powerless the one who had the power of death. We thank you, we bless you for being the risen, alive Savior. Father, I pray today that you would give us courage, boldness, confidence. We live in a world, Father, where everybody seems to be hesitating. Fear is so prevalent. People are afraid to say they're a Christian. People are afraid to say they believe in you. People are afraid to stand for, for, for the truth that you reveal to us. And Lord, in a time when such fear and such intimidation of your people, we pray that we would get off the fence. We'd plant both feet firmly with the Lord God. We'd be like Elijah who believes, bring 850 against me if need be, but God is on my side. I'm on God's side. I'm on the winning side. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we might see. More are they who are with us than they are who are in the world. Help us, Lord, to be strong and courageous people of faith. Bring people like that into our lives. Raise up leaders among us. Raise up Elijah's. Father, I pray, raise up Elijah's who could speak your word on college campuses. Raise up Elijah's who could speak your word in the workplace. Raise up Elijah's who could speak your word in our nation's capital. Raise up Elijah's, Lord. Speak your word in Hollywood. Raise up Elijah's, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Name 
Jesus is 
Amen. Hey, you know, Elijah, and what a great day that was in Israel's history. The people stopped hesitating. They made a decision. But you know what? Sadly, the revival didn't last. Sadly, the the revival didn't matter. The people made a decision, shouted, the Lord, he's God. But it wasn't long before they were falling back into apostasy. I pray today you'll make decisions that last. What do you need to do? You need regular inspiration, don't you? Come to church every week. Don't just come when you feel like it. Come every week. Get inspired, get encouraged. You need to be here. We need this. We've got too much spiritual opposition to say that church attendance, small group attendance can just be take it or leave it. We need to get into the Word of God every day. We need to be inspired, encouraged every day. Don't just be a once a week Christian. Amen? Amen. Carry through on your devotion. Carry through on your decisions. Personally, I, I do a daily YouTube for this very reason to inspire people every day from the Word of God. You need daily input in your life and encouragement and uplifting because we just got too much opposition. Let's carry through. Let's be people who don't just say the Lord is God, but carry through on it. Amen? Now, there'll be people of our prayer team down here after we finish today. And I would like to invite you, if you are struggling with a decision, you're hesitating with a decision, come down and talk to someone. You might have just one prayer, that's fine. You might say, hey, here's why I'm struggling. Maybe they can help you out. Just be honest, be open. It's better to say, I've got a problem. I need to get it solved because I don't want to hesitate anymore. I want both feet in for God. And if that's the case, find the answer. Get, talk to someone who can talk with you, pray with you, help provide some answers, help you be all for the Lord, okay? So there'll be members of our prayer team down here. Take advantage of it. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Come on down and say, hey, I want prayer and maybe even someone to talk to. Whatever may be the case, that's what we're here for. Amen? All right. For our send-off today, we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to say, the Lord, he's God. Now, I want you to picture your team just hit a buzzer beater in the March Madness tournament. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad we won. No. What do you do? You you know, I, I... True story. My son, you know, my son's played basketball. In, in freshman year, my one son, Steve, I was the scorekeeper. I was sitting at the table keeping the score. You know, well, the dads do that. We were down to our arch rival, and we called a play. Three seconds ago, we were down by two points. He had a half-court shot to win the game. What did dad do? I jumped up so much, I knocked the scorer's table over. I was excited. So what do we say? The Lord, he's God on three. More than once, we're going to say it. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen. Have a great week.